Welcome to the Junior Year Episode 12 of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Signal Horizon, and a teacher at a local high school here in Kansas City, Missouri. Signal Horizon is the go-to place for smart genre programming. So for all of our coverage, check out SignalHorizon.com. And I'm joined tonight by our new co-host and monster ambassador here at Signal Horizon, Oren Gray. Oren, what's going on, man? Uh, I I have a... A lingering cough from a cold that I've had for two weeks, but aside from that, not much. Yeah, that's not too terribly scary. Eh, we'll find yeah. out. <laughs> there, <laughs> there, there have been times so, when it uh, has been. Um, hopefully we'll get through this without it being too bad. <clears throat> yeah, well they gave you some good pain yeah. meds, right? So if uh, nothing else, then we'll just get you high <laughs> enough that uh, you start hallucinating yeah. mermaids yeah, it'll and it'll be great. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? What's uh, of interest to you as of late? Um, so yeah, I uh, I am I am always on brand. So I just watched uh, William Castle's last, like his his last film as director, um, which was this movie called Shanks from 1974, which is a uh, a showpiece for this uh, for a mime named Marcel Marceau. I'm, you may have heard of him. He was he was really famous mm-hmm. back in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Marceau plays this puppeteer who is, um, deaf and doesn't speak. Uh, and he inherits this invention that lets him remote control corpses. So then he starts like puppeteering corpses around. Um, but it's like, it's not really, I mean, it is a horror film, but it's only kind of a horror film. It's very whimsical. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Edward Scissorhands, um, except, you know, 20 years earlier. Um, and it's, it's Very real weird. Good. So yeah, I just, I just watched that. So it, so it's got Helena Bonaparte in it? No. Is that what you're trying um, to tell it, us? It does have, um, <laughs> the, uh, oh, I don't remember her name. Uh, this, uh, one of the girls who was in Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. all right. No. So <clears throat> does he use the corpses for like nefarious purposes? Um, initially not, but like through a series of misadventures, he ends up inadvertently killing a couple of other people and then uses those corpses to drive around. Um, cause I guess why not? I don't know. And, um, then, so for a while that's the conflict. And then in the last reel, it takes this weird hard left turn into like last house on the left territory where these bikers show up and start causing trouble. And it's, it's weird, but and then he controls a legion of corpse marionettes to kick some uh, something like ass. So, something like that. Like Not that. as much of that as I was expecting, but um, but there's some of that okay. certainly. Uh, it's very weird. Um, All right. So the, uh, where did you check? I just check I, it out. I rented it on VOD. Um, I've been okay. I've been uh, I have like two William Castle. Blu-ray sets, but there's a bunch of his stuff that I've never seen. That's like his later stuff, right before he quit. And um, mm-hmm. so I've been trying to track some of that down. So I just got around to doing this one today. Very cool. Nah, <laughs> sounds uh, sounds like an interesting watch. If nothing else. Very good. Well, I caught the Nightingale. Uh, um, I mean, it is probably not on... fun. I mean, 
No, no. I, like, <coughs> if you want the opposite of what I would say is musical, uh, it would be the freaking Nightingale. I think it's uh, available on Amazon Prime and uh, or maybe Hulu. I, it, it doesn't matter. Either one. It's a really well-made, it's a really well-made movie, okay? Uh, and there's been some debate on whether or not it is, like, a rape revenge movie, but it is brutal. Like, the first 40 minutes, uh, we were talking about it in the company Slack, and, like, the first 40 minutes of this movie are just so brutal to get through that, like, I, I couldn't, like, I couldn't get over it, you know? Like, no matter what happens in the next, like hour and 20 minutes i'm still stuck on those 40 minutes and i can't i can't move beyond it so uh it is powerful and interesting and has a lot to say about uh you know know, kind of the 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 regular stuff in well-made rape revenge movies so like some feminist nature to it there is also i think a really interesting aboriginal conversation because it's an australian film uh so i in some ways, I wish I was in a better mindset to fully take in some of those themes, but I was still too fucked up from the first 40 minutes to probably truly appreciate that. So here's what I'll say. I don't know if I can recommend it, uh, but if you have those accounts, then you should watch it because I think it's a really well-made movie. I just, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Check, check it out um, and then tell us what you think because it's tough. Something that is not tough, that is a ton of fun, that is bonkers and weird and bizarre, is the latest Into the Dark uh, edition for this November on Hulu, just called Pilgrim. And the premise is this, like, suburban mom and dad, okay, uh, feel their kids drifting away because of, like, social media or, you know, what, whatever, you know, boogeyman <laughs> you want to want to call it. So they... Uh, they hire these like Thanksgiving cosplayers to come and like teach everybody like what the first Thanksgiving is really like. Uh, and they like come a week before Thanksgiving and they're like supposed to show everybody like how to, how they planted things back in the day and how they lived their life and how they've shook their corn and all that shit. And uh, these cosplayers are very <laughs> dedicated to a puritanical lifestyle and it was a freaking hoot. It's got an incredibly gory end, which is just so much fun. It, like it was fun and did not take itself too serious. And the two lead roles uh, that play the kind of Puritans, uh-huh. uh, oh man, they just go for it. You know, <laughs> like they're just so big. So yeah, check out uh, Pilgrim on Hulu. It's a uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild, but in a in a great way. So it's at this point that we usually do uh, our dark corners of the web. Are you remotely familiar with uh, Gemma Files at all, Oren? Yeah, yeah, I know her. She uh, she actually wrote the introduction of my third collection. So yeah, no yeah. shit. Okay. So have you read this story? It's in Nightmare Magazine. We'll provide a link to it. Uh, called Grave Goods. It sounds the title sounds familiar, but I I don't I'm not sure. Uh, let me look. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I have, but I do not remember. I read quite a few of her short stories, so. Yeah, I I would say 
I would classify her stuff as, uh, like equal parts nostalgia, equal parts weird, uh, and I don't know, equal parts scary as crap. And this particular story has like some of that weird archaeology mm-hmm. that sometimes you know winds its way into, you know, uh, most I think popular, you know, popular weird fiction nowadays, but. It's a it's a free story. It's really great, and if you don't know who Gemma Files is, you absolutely should because her shit is is fantastic. So. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't remember whether I've read this particular story, but her stories are great. And uh, yeah, she and I talk a lot at conventions because she knows more about movies than I do, and so like, whoa, she was a you know she was a film critic for years, and um. So and and a lot of her stuff like incorporates that just really extensive knowledge in these amazing experimental ways. So yeah, she's great stuff. Yeah, I, and I I like that you talk about her experimental fiction, right? She's got uh like a almost a novella. It's a it's a longer short story in the Lost Films collection that we reviewed uh, last year, and it is great. It's just spooky and haunting and i think triggers that part of your brain that like i don't know my son on occasion listens to that shit on youtube where people will just like chew honeycomb and it like makes your brain feel numb like asmr right like her fiction is like asmr for my brain so yeah it's great um check out the link we'll put in the show notes here but it's 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 pretty pretty awesome okay so here comes the main feature of our of our uh, show tonight, which will be our essential question. Can Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse give us some insight into our current generational conflict? This is a podcast in three acts. We're going to talk about the movie, the theory, and then some reactions to both the movie and the theory, uh, namely our own. But... Uh, yeah, let's ring that spoiler bell and and let's get into it. Uh, okay, man. Honest, honest first reaction. We saw this movie together. What what did you think? I didn't love it. Um, and like a lot of people I am friends with in the weird fiction community loved it. Like like favorite movie of the year loved it which is kind of which is kind of how I felt wow. about the witch when I saw it you know a few years ago I loved it but this one I I didn't love I wanted to um and I liked a lot of things about it but yeah it was uh it wasn't for me yeah <clears throat> so what what specifically about it did you uh, not love. Was there a specific element? Or uh, first off, I'll I'll say, uh, I probably didn't dislike it, but I also there's no way this would be my favorite yeah. movie of the year. Maybe make my top ten, but I don't. Know. What uh, what what bothered you I the mean, most? I think for me, like, I wanted something less naturalistic than it was. Like, I I wanted okay. it to not essentially be a Stephen Crane story 
I wanted it to be like a Mackin story or a Lovecraft sure. story. Um, and it was a Stephen Crane story. And I like Stephen Crane stories, but that's not what I wanted this to be. And so I think for me, like the fact that it was what it boiled down to being about two people and the elements and not much else, which is a fine enough thing for a story to be about, but it's not what I wanted. And I think that's my main like reason for not loving it more than I did. Like, yeah, that's, that's totally fair. And I think the more time I have, I I need to see it again. Uh, And I will. And I think I'll probably gain more out of it. But I remember thinking at the time, there is an interconnectedness to this movie that you call naturalistic. It almost feels like tra- transcendental. Oh yeah, you know, I like can see that. it is it fully immersed in um, first off a, a New England aesthetic, right? right? So uh, it's got this specific dialect and this specific like oh I don't know. Like they talk about nor'easters. Right. Oh, and it's got and, this very specific look. Like, um, I didn't, I didn't put it together when I was watching it, but um, like going into it, I kind of expected it to look like a 1930s film because it had that 1930s aspect ratio, which I know we'll talk about. Um, but yep. so I was expecting it to look more like a 30s film, but it doesn't. It looks like a an N.C. Wyeth painting. Um, and Mike Mignola actually said that after he saw it, he posted on, on Facebook that it looked like an N.C. Wyeth painting, and, I, and he was absolutely right. Like, everything in it, if you look up N.C. Wyeth, he did a bunch of, uh, you know, paintings of, like, lighthouses and boats and fishermen and stuff, and they look, and they're not black and white, but other than that, they look exactly like this film. Like, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll include some of that artwork um, in the show notes, but... Yeah, uh, probably before we move on, sometimes we don't like to spoil, sometimes we do, but I think at least for this portion, um, if you haven't seen it, we'll give you a real brief overview of the movie. So the Internet Movie Database gives us the quick summary. The uh, And here it is. The hypnotic and hallucinatory tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. And... Uh, yeah, like it, it it uses the sea as a character and it's fundamental to um, just the, the, the general tenor and theme and aesthetic of the film. So if that is not your bag, you may not necessarily like it. Like we're both landlocked and Missourians, you know, so like there, there's nothing about the sea in that context that is uh, innate to my being, you know, but I think if you... I don't know if you grew up around lighthouses. Maybe you could better connect with yeah. it. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? Um, sorry, it's uh, it's it's so, Andrew. It's Andrew Wyeth, not NC. Different painter. They're both painters. The Andrew oh. Wyeth is the one that this looks like. Man, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I bought it. Whatever your argument was, sounded, sounded great to me. So uh, let's talk for a moment about that aspect ratio. Right? It's shot in a 4-3 aspect ratio, which essentially uh, is more or less right. a square. The, uh, that, for me, made it really difficult uh, at the beginning to get into it. It was it uh, very... Uh, it's it's just so not what we're used to seeing. And I, I think that's definitely, like... For me, it wasn't that, because I watched a lot of movies from the 30s and 40s, which were shot in that ratio. Sure. So it... it it wasn't yeah. weird to me. 
Um, like half the movies I watch are in that ratio. Um, but yeah, if you mostly watch new movies, it would be really weird, I think. So did that automatically change then your expectations? I, 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 you yeah, know, I like it did. I mean, I honestly, I think it, I think it did for the worse for me because again, I was expecting something more like those old movies and it's not what I got. I got a more modern type of movie just made in a way that looks old fashioned. Yeah, that's interesting because it it I I am certainly not nearly as well versed as you are in that kind of uh, 30s 40s you know kind of monster classic, but like I don't know because I would have said the lighthouse feels old, but I think it feels old because the window dressing. Well, yeah, is and it, old, it's it's you know? set like, in an old time, and it it feels very much yeah. of that time. Like you said, the the dialogue and the dialect and everything is is meticulously recreated, if anything. Um, and if if it had been a movie from the 30s, it wouldn't have felt that old. <laughs> they they would not have yeah. meticulously recreated the past so carefully back then. Yeah, it would have been would more have stylized. At it. Yeah, I I think so. We'll link to it here. There is an interview that Robert Eggers gives um, where he talks about that aspect ratio. And he said in his Q&A at Fantastic Fest afterwards that he liked the aspect ratio because it reminded him of a window. And there was so much of the film shot inside, like, the Mm -hmm. shanty, like the shack, that it was like the audience was looking through a window at the chaos that was in that actually makes that makes sense because a lot of the film does feel very like voyeuristic you're watching these people yeah do things you don't normally see people do in movies fart masturbate um yeah to uh to weird mermaid figurines i mean i'm i'm sure we were all hard up at 12 or 13 but like a (laughs) like that's that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, we we, you we know? didn't have like, any woodblock prints or anything to send with him. He had a mermaid figurine. <laughs> they, they had right, they had dirty right. woodblocks back then. I know they did. Right, come <laughs> on, man. Like give him some. But I guess the guy there before him at least had the common courtesy to like. It wasn't a penthouse magazine. He stuck the, under the leave, mattress. Leave it in it his was, mattress. Uh, the yeah, the weird jerk off, uh, <laughs> you know, figurine that one wiki passed down to another. Yep. <laughs> Very strange. Uh, I did love. I did love right, a lot yeah. of the dialect in that, like wiki. That's so good. Such a good. Yeah. Such a good. So such a good, good bit of dialect. Yeah, and I think um, the other thing when it came to the movie, uh, there is a TIFF Q and A that I watched in preparation for this, where they talk a lot about that dialect and how it's like pristine. It's lifted all from material from uh, that period yeah. of time. And uh, I, I don't know. They both Robert Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe, I think, command what I think is incredibly difficult dialect in a way that uh, I don't know is pretty amazing. Yeah, to me, they do an amazing know? job, too, of being like, which I will probably come up when we start talking about generational divide of being two very different characters speaking the same yeah. dialect and like. They, they come at their characters in these very different ways, and um, they definitely distinguish themselves very well for a movie that essentially has two actors in it. Yeah. Um, and and if they're... Here's the thing. I, I have maintained for a while now that I think Robert Pattinson is a, is a lot more talented than a lot of people give oh, him yeah. credit for. 
and I like I think this is the type of movie that really showcases. Well, it. I was gonna I was gonna you go know? into this and say that this was like his version of uh of um when uh the guy who plays Harry Potter when he appeared in Equus right after being in Harry Potter. Oh, and, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, like, actually a lot of the stuff Robert Pattinson's been doing for the last few years is kind of his version of that. Like, he's been doing a lot of more challenging, weird stuff in the last few years that I haven't seen all of, but... Yeah. So, when Daniel Radcliffe did Equus, like, Equus is, you know, way back in the day I was a theater right. director. And it is, like, that and uh, another play called Pterodactyls, which is totally <laughs> fucked are like these kind of, uh, I don't know, they're these big, bizarre uh, centerpieces that show off acting chops but also ask their actors to make big sacrifices because yeah. a bulk of Equus, he's like yeah, butt-ass I mean, naked. full frontal like, in Equus, just like, yeah. <laughs> right, like he's all there, you know, and he's all there and blinding the shit out of some horses, so... All yeah. right, man. Yeah, but I, I, I agree. And I heard an interview, I don't know where, uh, but they were talking to Robert Pattinson. And Robert Eggers has another movie coming out where he kind of plays, uh, there's a character where there's like a, like a British dandy that's kind of foppish and, you know, uh, proper but um, weak, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Uh, and he offered it to Robert Pattinson because he really wanted to work with him. And Pattinson was like, "That's I don't I don't want that role. Give me something different that will challenge me." And I think this role is <laughs> super physically and you know, from a talent level, really challenging, yeah. man. So, um, a couple more things I wanted to add about the movie. There are uh, Eggers uses a bunch of lenses from the 1930s in this film. In fact. Uh, a couple of the scenes that he filmed outside, he uses a lens from 1906. So these, like, really... I'm recording again. Yep, 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 yep. I look good. You look good. All right. Yep, sorry about that. Um, I was talking about the lenses. Yep. Um, lenses, lenses. Yeah, so he was using those lenses... Uh, I guess as a way to keep it uh, authentic. And it sure seems like with this in the witch, he's got, and I don't mean this in a bad way. There's probably a, a better way to put it, but like he's got an obsession with keeping, keeping things so authentic. Um, and, and I wonder like, do you think that adds or subtracts to the film? I don't know. I, like in the witch, I certainly think it added, um, like I think that I think the period, not just the period details, but like the um, adherence to like Calvinism and like how it worked and sort of what it what it was and and that and what life was like in that time period and that kind of stuff. I think that really <clears throat> it really helped the witch. But in this one, it I want to say that it felt less necessary here, but it was still really good. Like, yeah, but I, I, other people seem to be seeing it, it emphasizing the story in ways that I yeah. didn't see, which is not mean it's not there. I just missed it. Well, and <clears throat> I think some of that may be that those themes that I think you and I love so much about the witch, like they may or may not be here in the lighthouse, but they are, 
definitely less defined, right? Or more confusing or more, you know, whatever by the hallucinatory right. nature of the film. And a a as such, it muddles things. So, you know, I, 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 like I, I think... I think you're spot on. I think that's super interesting. The last right. thing I would I would add on the movie before we kind of move on to the the uh, the theory side of right. things would be uh, in that TIFF Q and A, somebody from the audience asks because there's a there are a lot of farts. All right, there are a lot yeah, of I, farts in okay. what is a very serious film. <laughs> And uh, somebody asked Willem Dafoe if uh, they were real or if they were, like, uh, added in at the end. And he said half of them were real, <laughs> <laughs> which cracks me up. Like, can you imagine uh, just Willem Dafoe farting around set and being in Robert Eggers, like, leave that one in. You know, like, let's leave that one in. That was a good one. Yeah. We need, we need to get a mic on, we need to get a <laughs> right, mic on Willem right. Dafoe's butt. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, and you've got that um you've got the scene when he when he throws out the chamber pots and it blows back on him that is so weird because it's like a scene from a yeah, like an American Pie movie or something, like it's it's this very scatological humor, but it doesn't yeah. feel inappropriate to the film well, somehow, like it fits even it, though it, in the it's, first 15 minutes yeah. of the film, you see Willem Dafoe's character uh, taking a leak in a bedpan, right? And he's just so close to the right. other guy's bed, it made me uncomfortable. You know, I was like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst. Yeah, no, it it, it it does a very good job of reminding you how horrible, mm -hmm. fu how fucking horrible bedpans were. Yeah. Bedpans were bad. Yeah, We're all right? very lucky to not have and, those and anymore. <laughs> because they're like traditional, like, gross and dirty dudes you know they like don't empty him very often right so like they wait too long and that, it's just i don't know man it's just kind of the worst so and this is a uh, it's coming yeah. from a guy that changes diapers on a relatively changes diapers and wipes butts on a pretty regular basis like man th there's nothing worse than that so yeah thank god um yeah, thank God I don't have to live with Willem Dafoe five feet five feet from my bed. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Robert Pattinson must be incredible if he's still able to, uh, you know, whack off to the uh, figurine while he's got gross, you know, nasty. You know, he got he got real desperate. I mean, at least they slept in shifts, so he got right. you know, he got a break from him when he wasn't like peering at him <laughs> right, through the hole in right. the ceiling. Oh man. What a, what a strange film. All right. So let's talk a little then about the theory. I think, um, I, I think the question for me, right? I saw somebody, I'm not exactly sure who was, a, I'm sure a writer on Twitter, somebody I respect that was like, this is totally about, uh, the boomer zoomer conflict. And uh, that's what intrigued me and kind of gave me the idea for our episode tonight. But do do you think that there is any discussion to be had about uh, the different ages here between I mean, these I, two characters? So I'm sure there is. I, I, I firmly believe there is. And, and for me, like I've, I've been trying to think about it ever since you sort of uh, sort of suggested the uh, the theme of the episode. And 
for me, the, the real struggle there is that everything we see in the movie is from Robert Pattinson's character's point of view. Um, and everything we see, we are given to understand later, might not be real. At least some of what we see is not real. Which means that we don't know what is real, which makes any um, assessment of the relationship between the characters hard for me to do because I don't know which parts are actually Willem Dafoe. Now, maybe if I rewatched it, like maybe there are clues that would tell me. Okay. But like, yeah, like because we know by the end that at least some of it isn't real, all of it could not. Okay, be. so maybe first off, <clears throat> we ring that spoiler bell. So this is your warning. If you do not want spoilers for The Lighthouse, maybe skip past this about 15 minutes. But <laughs> what what do you think in the movie didn't actually happen? I don't I honestly don't like I'm not sure. I know some of it didn't. I mean, odds are like oh well, okay, so uh actually I guess we don't know. We don't know much of anything. Um odds are he didn't have sex with a mermaid. I, right? That's probably not real. Uh I don't know. <laughs> He he 100% had sex thinking about a porcelain mermaid, all right? That's 100% that's true, yes. No, but but the mermaid was probably not real. Um, We we totally could see a mermaid mermaid vagina, but that probably wasn't real. Um, The the tentacles in the lighthouse probably weren't real. Um, But maybe they were. Who knows? Um... (laughs) Uh, I would like but, a reading of this movie where all this shit is real, and it's just like right? you know, it's 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 a movie called Cold Skin, which is on Shutter. If you want to okay. watch it, there there's a movie that's essentially just this movie, except there are actually fish people trying to kill them. Oh, all right, I'll have to check um, it out. And it's called Cold Skin. It's on Shutter. So, kind of the uh, the, um, the killer <clears throat> killer mermaid ish uh, idea. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it, it, it's two guys in a lighthouse. One of them's an older lighthouse keeper who's more experienced and kind of an asshole. The other one's younger who just came on. Uh, they, uh, they are besieged every night by just thousands and thousands of fish people who come out of the sea and try and kill them. And uh, the younger one, the, the older one has one of the fish people that he keeps a female, that he keeps as sort of a horrifying sex slave, basically. Oh and the younger one takes a shine to her. And that's the movie. Wow. All right. So, yeah, that's on Shudder if you want to check that out. <laughs> well, I... But anyway, um, but yeah, back to this movie. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, and besides the very, very end, the big sort of giveaway to that something is wrong is when he reads uh, Willem Dafoe's journal, right? And Willem Dafoe's journal describes things completely differently than how we've been seeing yeah. them. And maybe he's just an asshole who's lying, but we already know that Robert Pattinson's been lying at that point because we know he's not who he says he was, said he was. That's, that's so, true. Uh, and so so at that point, we don't know, then we can't trust him because he's an unreliable narrator. So yeah. at that point, then, that, then we can go a number of different ways. Like, there's a lot of valid readings then. Okay. All right. Um, so, so let me... If that makes sense. Let me push back here. All right? Because when I <clears throat> saw this movie, I immediately read Willem Dafoe's character 
as gaslighting Robert Pattinson. In, Which is totally a valid reading. In, in the context <laughs> that he's the senior one, right? He does all the write-ups right. and reviews, and Robert Pattinson isn't exactly playing nice, you know? And it's more like right. a power flex. Like, look at what I can do, motherfucker. You know, you better get on board and right. clean out my bedpan and, you know, whatever the hell else, you know, bullshit that he makes him do, you know, on a regular basis. So it was, it felt almost sinister to me that, uh, you, you know, that, that all of that went down. Because remember in his journal, he doesn't just say like, I think this guy's batshit crazy or, you know, like, I think he has some psychological issues. He's like, uh, he's awful and terrible, and I recommend that he gets fired without pay, right? Which is this huge, right? You know, yeah. you, like you felt like it was this huge transgression, <clears throat> and even if he didn't like him, that like he's taking his money away from him, which seems like you know, a right? Really super shitty thing to do. I don't even if he is crazy. I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and but and again, it's it's. I guess my point is not that I think that the the Boomer Zoomer reading or that reading or any reading is invalid as much as that by that point almost every reading is valid. Okay. Because we don't know what the truth is because we have an unreliable narrator and anytime you have an unreliable narrator you're stuck with making your own decisions. Especially when you're seeing things through their point of view where some of what we see him see is almost certainly a hallucination. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, since we're, we are seeing things that are probably not real, then anything could not be real. I, and so... I think that's fair. That, 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 makes a, that makes a lot of readings potentially valid, and it makes it hard for me to settle on one and be like, this is the reading. This one's the one that's right. I think that's totally fair. I also, like... I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not well-versed in... Uh, the effects of drinking kerosene, but right. I mean, see, I'm sure they're not yeah, good. We, we see him doing that, right? And I think you can yeah. pretty well disregard anything that happens after the drinking of the kerosene. After they start drinking right. kerosene, like, yeah. I I've been to some parties in my day, and when somebody busts out the shit that people normally don't drink, <laughs> nothing good happens after that, you know. Once people start just drinking kerosene out of the yeah, jug. With a little bit of honey. I love yeah. that they were like, oh, right. this shit is terrible. But if we throw in some honey, it'll be fine. I, I had a moment where I couldn't figure out what the honey was. Like, there was this millisecond where I was like, is there something you put in kerosene? What yeah. are they doing? And I was like, oh, oh, that's honey. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought maybe is there like, <laughs> uh, is this like a mineral oil that will make kerosene drinkable? Nah. Nope. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's just uh, something... So then it won't burn uh, burn your throat on the way down. Wonderful. Yeah, right. Quite oh, as much. Terrible. Okay, so I tried to put together some other examples of, like, generational horror, right? Where one right. generation reflects back on the other and is like, what the fuck? And I will say part of creating that lexicon or that list is that it sure seems like generational horror often gets muddled with class horror, you know, like that. And I don't, oh, yeah. I can't exactly connect the two of those because I, I don't know. Like it's, it's not that older people are richer and, and younger people are poorer. 
or vice versa, but we often, it's hard to separate a specific piece of horror iconography and say this is class and this is generational. So I don't, I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, even, even when like, even when it goes the other way, it does often have a class component. Cause now that you say that I think about oh, Pumpkinhead, yeah. right. Which, which is emphatically a generational conflict, but also they are richer than him. He's poor. I like it. The young kids are wealthy, um, which is, which is it flowing that other direction where the, the older people are the ones yeah. who are poorer. Um, um, so yeah, but I mean, it's definitely a generational conflict. Absolutely. Pumpkinhead. That's a, that's a great example. The, the first example that kind of came to my mind uh, may not be that great of an example of generational horror, but I think speaks to how difficult it is to kind of parse out the difference there. Uh, were you a X-Files person? I mean, I watched it some, but I, I don't like know it back to front okay. like a lot of people. Do. Uh, I didn't watch like the last two or three seasons. I kind of fell out of love with it. But there is an episode called Home where they investigate this old house that's in this old town that supposedly is haunted or whatever. But long story short, spoilers for Homecoming up. It is just this like family of like inbred people that like have been inbreeding with one another and like they keep the mother like in this like roll cart under the bed and it's it's totally and completely fucked, but there is this huge discussion about like how old timers, you know, have these specific sets of rituals and beliefs that, uh, you know, new people or, you know, at least with Fox and, and Mulder, like the city, city slickers did right. it or, you know. So, I don't know. I, I thought of home, and it may or may not be that great of an example. Uh, it sounds like a really messed up oh, episode. It's, watch oh, it it's so good. It's got great creature work in it, too. So, yeah, yeah, you should check it out. It's good. Um. Are you familiar with uh, the horror movie uh, Funny Games? Uh, I haven't actually seen it, but I'm familiar with okay. it. Okay. Uh, the bad guys in that movie are kids, like teenagers. Right. And uh, yeah. they invade the home of a very middle-class family, uh, or middle-aged and, and upper-middle-class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was another example. We talked some about, uh, a few weeks ago, about a movie called Don't Breathe, that deals with uh, an older vet and a younger group of criminals. And I thought maybe that. Um, the only other example I kind of came up with off the top of my head is M. Night Shyamalan's like triumphant return to horror. <laughs> was, uh, and I actually really liked it. Uh, oh, it's a fun yeah, movie. Yeah, but with a movie called The Visit. And it's like... I, I think there is an innate fear of old people, uh, and, and I, I have it as well, and I don't know. There's just, like, a discomfort, and I don't know if that's ge- generational right. or, or whatever it is, but I don't know. Well, I so I think it plays into um, – I'm going to get off topic a little bit here, but I think it plays into a there, – there's also a fear of, uh, I guess, disability. Oh, okay. And so a lot – a lot of monsters are not well. They don't look well. They look hurt or sickly or disabled in some way. They don't have their missing parts, their missing limbs. Okay. Um, and I think I think the fear of old age, a lot of monsters look old. Um, I mean, like, 
the, there's kind of a running joke that um, uh, James Wan and uh, Leigh Wan El must be just terrified of old ladies because like the ghosts in their movies are almost all old ladies. Oh, all right, interesting. Um, and I, I think it's I think it's just kind of a you know we 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 see infirmity and we see it as catching. Oh yeah, and I think that... you know it, it's we're we're afraid that we'll become that way. We'll be we'll be old. We'll be hurt. We'll be infirm. We'll be whatever. So I I think I <clears throat> I think that is a super interesting idea. How does that conflict? How does that idea? Does that idea play out in the lighthouse at all? At all? Is there some reflection that Robert Pattinson has? where he looks at this guy and is like, do I want to be this guy, you know, at 65 or 70? Right. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see if someone is going to do a reading of The Lighthouse where Willem Dafoe's character doesn't actually exist at all. Oh, all right. That he is just, that Robert Pattinson is actually both people. Because in the end, when we see him dead, he's, again, spoilers, when we see him at the end, he's by himself outside, which is not where he was when we saw him last. Yeah. He was in the lighthouse with Willem Dafoe's character when we saw him last, and then we see him outside on the ground. Okay. And that's the last shot we see is him outside on the ground. So I'm curious if someone is going to do a kind of a, a dual personality thing where, where Robert Pattinson's just alone and went crazy a long time ago and invented this disciplinary and father figure who's gross yeah. and <laughs> abusive. Yeah, no. Who he who he can then who he can then get the upper hand of and like lead around like a dog and bury. Okay, I think I mean it also it all feels very symbolic of something. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. And they do talk in the movie. There is some allusion to at some point um, somebody went crazy and killed the other wiki, you know? Right. Yeah. Yes. So like, yeah. yeah. And they're both, they both have the same name. They're both named Thomas. Very good. When it turns out their real name, they're both, their real name is both Thomas. They have different last names, but once they, once you get, uh, one, Pattinson's real name. Real name. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once they spill the beans. Right. Yeah. Right. Just spill your beans. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm going to be able to do that better as my voice begins to go. I, I know, right? Uh, Why just fill your beans? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. We'll have to cut <laughs> We'll have to cut that as like uh, our analysis <laughs> bumper, you know? Like we could use that forever and ever and ever. I I will tell you, I think the big he gives this big monologue prayer thing before they eat dinner. Oh yeah. And it's so fucking like righteous and like lighthousey like it just you know like it, it it's a hundred percent what you would think of a person that works at a lighthouse you know people are right. going to memorize it like they do samuel jackson's like prayer before he shoots people in pulp fiction and like <laughs> i don't know when my son is in college he's gonna like quote that shit to people to try to be cool. You know? <laughs> I feel like... Right. It's people, have, so, people have never seen the movie or yeah, quoting it's it. It's so weird and strange and lovely and fucking bizarre. Well, it, and, it, and it feels so much like, and probably is, given what they pulled from, it's, it feels so much like, like, um, 
like shipyard poetry and yeah. stuff like like that kind of stuff that like the like ship rates and things used to write when they could write um or just pass down orally yeah. um it, it feels very genuine in that regard like i've read you know um william hope hodgson uses a lot of like actual stuff from seafaring lore and that kind of thing and it sounds completely authentic to yeah. that like it sounds totally like something someone would really have said. It, it is curious. There is so much weird fiction, especially, but, you know, horror fiction generally, that uses boats or the sea or kind of the ocean as a, you know, as a, a creative device to... I don't know. It's just, and I love it all, right? I'm, I'm thinking yeah. uh, there was a great pseudopod episode a while ago, and I'm... I'll have to uh, find it and link to it in the show notes. I don't remember who the author is, but it's like essentially just somebody's recollection of an art collection he saw of like Scrimshaw. Somebody had carved like a a variety Mm -hmm. of different scenes into whalebone. And it was essentially all about a mermaid uh, that like they harpooned and dragged up onto their boat. And then the captain fell in love with her. And then like she went fucking nuts and killed everybody on the ship. But, you know, it, it's so uh, nautical, you know, like it's this just right. uh, I don't know. And, and the lighthouse does. I think we, we should give it credit. Like it is going for that aesthetic and, and totally is oh, successful. Yeah. It totally nails yeah. it. Um, like to the extent that I, I was disappointed in the lighthouse, it's no failing on the lighthouse, like as a structure, not to not to pun inadvertently but um like the the film is is immaculately like put together and shot and it's beautiful and it looks great and the performances are amazing and it's it's atmosphere is spot on I mean, it's great um it just didn't it didn't sing for me the way that the witch does but it's not because it wasn't a equally well-made movie yeah. yeah okay so i think now uh now we'll move on to the third part our final reactions to the question. So the question is, uh, is this an example of generational horror? You know, uh, does it provide some sort of insight? All I can say is uh, I totally dug it. I think there is uh, a decent reading that it deals with generational horror. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that'll about do it for, uh, tonight's episode featuring the lighthouse with, uh, our monster ambassador here, Oren Gray. Hey, Oren, where can they find more of your stuff on uh, the internet? Uh, you can find more of my stuff on OrenGray.com, or I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as Oren Gray. It's O-R-R-I-N-G-R-E-Y. Awesome. Very good. You can find more of my stuff on Twitter at Ty Unsel. Otherwise, check us out at Signal. Horizon on Facebook and Twitter as well, or check out our Horror Podcast Facebook group. That's where we'll engage in all kinds of generational conflict between those terrible boomers and those <laughs> godforsaken Zoomers. So, uh, yeah, mosey on over to that. I will mention we are in uh, the process of moving Signal Horizon from one web host to another. So, our uh, service will be a little bit spotty, so don't be surprised or scared or alarmed if uh, it comes up as we're working on the website, uh, if you check out our reviews or whatnot online. So next time we talk, uh, Oren, 
I think we should, uh, if we can, if we can find a place here in town, let's talk about the parasite. Or talk about uh, parasite, not the parasite. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, very good. Well, we'll figure out a time to check that out. Um, in the meantime, go find it. It's not in that many theaters, but I've heard amazing things about it. So, until then, class dismissed. Class dismissed.